0: Good morning. How are we? It's not raining. It's exciting. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to First Peter uh, chapter 1. We're going to be starting a new series in First Peter. Uh, if you're new with us or you've been around, we, we like to preach through books of the Bible. And so we're going to be preaching through First Peter for a few weeks, looking at that. And I think it's a, a very apropos. It's a very relevant. It's a very um, practical book on what it looks like to live as God's people in our time and space, even though this was written two thousand. Uh, years ago, it's it's very uh, relevant to uh, living as God's people when a lot of times our faith isn't welcomed, or Christianity isn't welcomed, or it's scorned or looked down upon. Um, and Peter's going to be really helpful in helping us kind of look at what does that look like, um, and and how do we how do we live, how do we serve our city, how do we not just retreat but engage it with good news. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to, to digging into First Peter uh, with you for the next uh, few weeks. So if you have a Bible, First Peter chapter 1, we're going to read the first 12 uh, verses. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, uh, 1014 in your chair Bible, or you can look up on the screen. I think it'll be up there too. So here's what First Peter uh, chapter 1 says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, And the things that have now been announced to you though, or through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And this is the word of God for us this morning. Let us pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we, we come to you and we know that you are a speaking God. You're a communicating God. And one of the main ways in which you do that is through your word. Um, and we know your word is trustworthy and sufficient and authoritative because it comes from you. It's not something we just thought up but you have spoken through human writers by the power of your Holy Spirit and and have something to say to us today. And so we pray that you would speak to us, you would search us and know us, you would examine us by your word, you would push on those places where there's resistance, you would open our hearts and and minds to hear and receive this good news of grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And have your way with us by the power of your Spirit. In my weakness, I pray that you would be strong. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we've entitled this series Exiles, well, for the city. So why exiles for the city? Well, I, I really creatively, it's actually right in the Bible, and so I didn't have to think too long and hard, but the way the, the letter opens up is he calls God's people to those who are elect exiles of the, the dispersion. And later Peter's going to talk and use that same language in, in chapter 2, which we'll get to in, in a few weeks. And he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war. Against your soul. And so God's people have always been kind of an exilic people, a people that lived on the fringes, a people that were pushed out. And this language is actually picked up from the Old Testament. If you remember in the Old Testament when God's people were exiled to Babylon. And so the, the call of God's people in the Old Testament wasn't, even though they had sin, and this is a little different situation, God's people are not dispersed because of their sin, but in the Old Testament they were dispersed because of their sin. He gave them kind of a 70-year uh, spiritual spanking and was going to say, hey, you need to go to Babylon, and, but when you're there, even though you live among people that don't believe what you believe and don't worship the one true God, I want you to pray for the city. I want you to put down roots in the city. I want you to get married and have children and and build houses and and build gardens. And I want you to be a blessing to the city because as the city flourishes, you are going to flourish as well. And so Peter's picking up that same language with this exile language and saying, saying as God's people, as you have been called to a particular place in our context, Kansas City, or if you're called to Africa or you're called to L.A. or you're called to Australia, wherever you are, I want you to be a blessing. I want you to live out your core identity as exiles in your city, as sojourners in your city. And this has kind of a double meaning. It can be geographically, this is what's really brilliant about 1 Peter, um, geographically, yes, they physically were exiled. They were spread out around the Roman Empire. They weren't welcome into the center of culture. But what Peter's doing is he's playing on that geographic exile being pushed out. And he's saying, but you're spiritual exiles as well, because now your home is ultimately in Christ Jesus. Now your true home, your, your true landing point is not a physical city. It's not Kansas City. It's, it's to be with Christ and ultimately one day in a new heavens and a new earth where there is no more sin and no more death and no more sorrow. And so that's the tension that you and I live in. We live in a place... But we have another place that we belong to that's actually our core identity that drives how we live in the particular place in which God has called you. And that's why the gospel in Christianity is so resilient and you can drop any Christians in any place in any time of of history and and we can preach this message because it doesn't matter about physical place. The the good news is always relevant because God is timeless and the message is always timeless. And as we live out that identity, it doesn't matter whether we're welcomed and the center of culture, or whether we're pushed out to the fringes of culture. Now, the way Peter starts this letter, and the way that he's going to encourage these people 2,000 years ago that have been pushed out as exiles, is he's going to talk about hope. Because of course that's where you start. When you're not welcomed, when you're suffering, when, when, when you don't have a say in the culture, he's going to talk about the hope that they have, this living hope that they have in Jesus' Christ because of what Christ has accomplished by his life, his death, his resurrection. And so I want to talk about this morning how Peter kind of motivates this church and us today, how to think and live motivated by hope, this gospel hope rooted in Christ. And so I want to talk about the foundation of hope. I want to talk about the maintaining of this hope, the deepening of this hope, and also the power of hope this morning, just for a few moments here. So so first the foundation of of hope. Notice the, the way the letter kind of begins in, in in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, from the dead this is a doxology this is peter writing praising god blessing god that's what blessing is it's it's saying yes thank you for this this hope thank you jesus thank you god the father and in jesus and we could even say the holy spirit according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to this living hope and that's the root of why he's praising them it's not just blessed thank you thank you so much because you're God. It's thank you according to your great mercy because we've been born again. We've been made alive spiritually. That we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but you've raised us to new life. You've made us alive in Christ. L- let's look at that, his great great mercy. It's a, it's a great word. Peter, what he's doing, he's picking up on some Old Testament language of, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, we would call it his hesed love. And it's the idea of, of God's grace, his loving kindness, his compassion towards sinners. He's celebrating that. It's for his great mercy. He has come to us with love and grace and mercy. We're sinners that deserve to be separated from God forever. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. We deserve the wrath of God. And yet he says, I'm coming to you as a covenantally faithful God, a hased love, a compassionate, loving God. I, I've come to you. And this is why Peter's singing. This is why he's encouraging the church. That's why he's saying, bless you, oh God, this mercy that's come to us. Now, of all people, Peter, the writer of, uh, of this letter, as you remember Peter? Oh, faithful Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times? Like, like the spiritual light bulb has come on for Peter, right? I mean, he was the coward. He was the one. I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll always be faithful to the end. And then when someone engages him and says, hey, do you know this Jesus? He says, who? He, he's realized this God has been merciful to me. This God has come to me, and His has said, "Love, His kindness ha- has, has come to us." I love when um, back in the Old Testament, in, in um, the men's uh, retreat, they were uh, the Orion was talking about Exodus thirty three um, about God's presence and how God met Moses uh, in a special way, and he says, "Hey, if your presence doesn't go with us, we can't go." But later on in, in Exodus chapter thirty four, if you look at verse um, five. God reveals himself, and notice how God reveals himself to Moses, because this is who he is. Verse five, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in Hased steadfast love and faithfulness. That if you're going to reveal who God is and what he's like, it's right here. I'm a God of has said, gracious, compassionate love towards sinners. I'm faithful even when you are not. And and so Peter is looking at the foundation of this hope, and it's not a flimsy foundation. It's built on realities and things that God has done, and it's built ultimately on the mercy that God has shown us in Christ. But notice how it says, according to his mercy, he's, he's done something. Something's happened here. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is about new birth. We, we talk about that language all the time in the Christian church. It's about being born again, regenerated, that we went from, from, from death to life, that something had to happen spiritually inside of us that we could even believe in this gospel and believe in this Christ. We had to be born from the Spirit of God, from God himself had to do that work in us. You remember, if you've been around the the church at all or the the scriptures, in John chapter 3, the encounter with Nicodemus saying that you must be be born again. He's confused. He says, you know, how do I inherit eternal life, Lord? And in verse 3, John 3, 3 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then later in verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes that you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. Christianity is not just a philosophy of life, of how to get along when things get tough. It's not a crutch for the weak-willed. It's a supernatural religion. The church doesn't even exist apart from the Spirit of God. None of you would be in this room if it wasn't for the Spirit of God. This isn't just, you know, I, I need something to do on a Sunday morning. It's God's Spirit awakens a soul that's dead to Christ and says, makes it alive and says, I, I need this Christ, I need this redemption, I need this forgiveness. This is where it's all headed. He opens our eyes to see these things and to see what the kingdom of God is about. And it's sustained by the same Spirit of God. It's the only way anyone moves toward God. And so we need to be people who who pray for that movement of God, right? You can't save anyone. You can't change anyone. You can't help them think differently about about God. Yeah, we can talk to them. We can engage them. We can open the scriptures. But it's the spirit of God that that allows them to be born again. And so so Peter is celebrating this reality. He's blessing this God because of his great mercy, His, his said compassionate love has caused us to be born again, made new, made live. And now we have this living hope. Now, why do we have this living hope? Because we serve a living God. He tags it on, did you notice, in First Peter, if you go back there to chapter 1, he tags it on to the resurrection of Christ. We don't serve a dead deity, we, we, we serve a risen Christ who sits at the right hand of God. So, so this resurrection happened 2,000 years ago in time, in space, in human history, and so our hope is rooted in a living hope. Why? Because we serve a living God. I thought that would go over bigger. Our, our hope is a living hope because we serve a living God right it's not found in your feelings or your experience or your subjective the way you look at the world and look out on the world it's it's rooted in this Christ who's done something in human history who's also promised to come back again and so peter as he's encouraging this church he says can we just take a moment can we pause you need to think about this hope you have in christ i know things are dark i know things are hard but you have a, a living hope because you have a serve a living God who's resurrected from the dead. So don't look at your circumstance. Don't look at the fact you've been ostracized and pushed to the fringes. Look at the one who walked out of the tomb on the third day. That's where your hope lies. And believe me, historically, if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe in the gospel and you think this is all gobbledygook, there is no way this movement gets off the ground unless Jesus is raised from the dead. Because this is a very delusional group of people that now has gone for 2,000 years and is 2 billion strong. There's no way this happens unless we serve a living God, unless this thing is absolutely supernatural in all God's grace. It's just not going to happen. We're not that smart. We're just not. We're not that. I heard a guy talk about that. You know, we talk about you know, all these conspiracy theories. He's like, I don't believe in conspiracies because people just aren't that organized and aren't that smart. Right? And it's the same way. There's no way this gets off the ground. There's no way they follow this, this suffering, marginalized Messiah into a culture where they're going to lose their lives and, and be slaughtered and pushed aside and not have any say in the culture unless this thing is true in every way. And this Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And we know he has because there were 500 witnesses that saw it and said yes and amen. We saw him. Even some of us touched his hands and touched his feet and saw the scars in his, his hands and his side. There's no way we can have hope unless it's a living hope rooted in a living, a living God. I think of the, one of my favorite movies of all time, Shawshank Redemption. Any amens? Andy, du, Andy Dufresne, the main, one of the main characters, writing a letter to Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman, and he says this, Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Now that's actually a line from Stephen King who wrote the short story, but, but, but he says, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Now I don't know Red's uh, spiritual standing before Christ or Andy Dufresne. They were just characters in a movie. But they're on to something here. Hope never dies. How does it never die? Because we have a living Christ. We have a resurrected Christ. And that same resurrected Christ, because we are grafted, as Romans says, since we belong to the death and the resurrection of Christ. And when you believe in Christ, that death and that resurrection are somehow mysteriously grafted into you. So you, you are made alive. You are already, as Romans 6 will say, you can go look at it on time this morning, but you have already been resurrected from the dead. There's already a place for you in heaven, as Philippians says. We are God's resurrected people already. Now, that's not fully realized, of course. But that's our status before this God. And that's why he can say there is a, a hope that, that never dies because we have a living Christ. And it's something that's happened outside of us and not dependent on our circumstances. I love the way he's going to encourage an exile people in the city. How do we live this out as God's people? Know that you have a living hope and a living God. And it's not your doing. It's all His, and He's with you every step of the way. Now, I know in our day, we, we use that word hope a lot. And um, I think for what a lot of people mean when they say I have hope in something, it's really just optimism, um, not really biblical hope. Um, I, I love uh, Jurgen. It could be Jurgen, Jurgen Moltmann. He wrote a book called The Theology of Hope. And he writes this. The difference between optimism and hope. He says, optimism has to do with good things in the future that are latent in the past and the present. The future associated with optimism. Moltmann calls it futurum. It's an unfolding of what is already there. We survey the past and the present, extrapolate about what is likely to happen in the future, and if the prospects are good, become optimistic. Right? It's not built on anything. Just, okay, I look at my situation, I look at the past, I say, well, there's a good chance... The sun's going to come up tomorrow. There's a good chance I'm not going to have cancer tomorrow, but we know sometimes cancer comes. So it's really not built on it. It's flimsy. It's not built on That's just optimism. That's just kind of positive thinking. Some of us you know, woke up one day, and the next day our, our family member's gone. You could look at the past and go, well, he woke up every other morning, but now he's, he's gone or she's gone. That's just optimism, right? It's not built on anything. But he says, here, here's a hope that's, that's rooted in, in the gospel. And in Christianity, he says, Hope, on the other hand, has to do with good things in the future that come to us from outside, from God. The future associated with hope, Moltmann calls as adventus. It's a gift of something new. We hear the word of divine promise, and because God is love, we trust in God's faithfulness. God then brings about a new thing. And it gives examples. Age Sarah, barren of the womb, gives birth to a son. The crucified Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Nobody expected that. A mighty Babylon falls, and a new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. More generally, the good that seemed impossible becomes not just possible, but real. We have hope now and forever because of the resurrection of Christ. He's already promised your resurrection if you're a believer in Christ. That means death, sorrow, sin, pain, injustice doesn't have the last say. God is making a new thing. He's making, reshaping, renewing the entire cosmos now and forever. So even if we don't get healed today, we'll get healed tomorrow. Uh, if we don't get healed in this moment, we'll get healed one day in the new heavens, the e- even if injustice never fully goes away, which it won't. I don't believe in utopia. I don't think the scriptures teach that. But, but there is this sense of hope that God is going to eventually make all things new. Church, is that where your hope lies? Because I think a lot of us, we don't have biblical hope. We just have optimism. <laughs> it's not rooted in anything. It's flimsy. It's just positive thinking. It's looking at our lives going, well, yeah, I think I'll have a job tomorrow, but you might not. So, so how do we have a, a greater, deeper hope? And that's where we move into the maintaining of hope because the maintaining of a hope is rooted in the fact that the past is secure because Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present because Jesus lives and our hope is complete in the future because Jesus is coming again. So how do we maintain this hope that we have in Christ? Notice what, what Peter does. This is very interesting. I, I love the way he, he engages this. In verse 4, he says, "...to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time." So so he says, the the way this hope that we have, this living hope because of the resurrection of Christ and believing and trusting in this faithful God is not by mere willpower or desire or just hoping kind of things nebulously turn out right. He says, actually, your hope is rooted in eternity. Did you catch it in verse 4? This inheritance to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Inheritance is the same language that, that Israel would understand for inheriting the land, this promised land that was coming. And as believers in Christ now, we think in terms of a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth, a gift, right? In Old Testament times, in, in, in ancient cultures, you, 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 typically the oldest son would get inheritance from the father. You know, it would be land, it would be animals, it would be you know, whatever the, the father had, this, this gift that was coming in the future, and so Peter, what he does is he roots their hope in this fact that there's an inheritance, there's a gift. You're going to receive all of God's blessings, all of God's provision, all of God's promises are already secure for you. Well, how are they secured? Because you have this imperishable, it's untouched by death, hope. You have this undefiled, it's, it's unstained by evil. The most evil thing can't touch it. And you have this unfading gift that's unimpaired by time. Peter uses the same language in, in 1 Peter 1:23. He says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He says, No one can touch this seed of hope in Christ. Evil can't touch it. Time can't touch it. Because it's rooted in eternity, past, present, and future. It's already yours. Now, Um, I don't know about you but I find great I'm going to use that word a lot hope in that what can you say in your life that you can point to to say there's something in my life that will never go away it will never fade it will never die it will always be there you can't say that about anything can you not without lying your spouse is going away your kids are going away Everything's going away not to be gloom and doom you're just like "Geez, pastor I came here to be inspired you're just a downer but it's true, isn't it? So, all the things we cling to, right? Our, our jobs, our houses, our, our stuff, our, our kids, our family, our relationship, all of those are temporary. I, I was reminded of this recently. Um, I, I was doing some, some work at the house, just man stuff. You probably don't understand how that works, but I had some needle nose pliers, because um, that's what men use, uh, apparently. And uh, I had these needle nose pliers after I had already snapped off a screw trying to hang some blinds. And if you've ever hanged blinds, it's it's just. The depths of, of despair and evil. I don't know who invented blinds, why this is such a difficult task, and to get them straight and, and hung right is, is really difficult. So after I snapped off the top of the screw, um, I, I got some needle-nose pliers, and I was trying to pull the screw out of the wood. And, and I noticed, as, as I kind of looked at my needle-nose pliers, that they were all kind of rusted out. And what had happened was I had been working on something out in the yard with needle nose pliers because, you know, it's just man stuff. I know you don't understand. Um, but But it had got rained on, and it started to rust through. And like any weird preacher that just has weird gospel analogies always floating through their head and hearts, I looked at those pliers and all the rust, and I said, that's exactly what Peter's talking about. Nothing lasts. It's all rusting. It's all fading. Except this hope we have in Christ. Nothing can touch it. Nothing. You can think of the worst circumstance. You can think of the evil done to us or evil done to others. You can think of, think, think of cancer, sorrow, sin, death, hell, murder. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it cannot be touched. It's imperishable, undefiled. It's unfading. But, but how does Peter say, how do we maintain that? Well, it's actually fairly simple. If you keep reading in verse 5, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I, I love that. That's such a great encouragement because it doesn't say, hey, you need to have, do something heroic with this gift, right? You need to be religious, right? You got to get more. You got to be obedient. Like that's the only way you're going to get. It. He says, no, it's, it's through faith that you receive this unperishable, undefiled, um, um, unbreakable gift of hope in Christ Jesus. It's, it's through faith. It's trusting in the one who has resurrected from the dead. Amen. Amen. That's such good news. That's how you encourage the people that don't, can't look out on the physical world and go, yeah, it like, seems like things are going really well for us. We're losing our houses. Nobody likes us. We don't have a voice in the culture. And and yeah, I think things are really working out for us. But he says, no, no, no. Fix your gaze not on those things. Fix your gaze on the one who was resurrected from the dead. That's where our look goes. That's where our faith goes. That's where our trust goes. And he's already promised. It's already, notice the language. I I love this. If If you look at the words, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation. Look at these words ready to be revealed in the last time. Ready. Nothing needs to be done. It's already finished. It's already yours. It's already prepared. The meal's already there. Come and eat. And guarded. It's it's protective custody. God is guarding this by faith. God, God himself, as we trust him, he's saying no one can touch this gift of hope. It's my people's. It belongs. All the promises are theirs. No one can touch it. Can you say that about anything in your life? We you really can't, in honesty. That's why the gospel's such good news. Because I need this kind of hope when I'm sitting in a hospital room and my daughter's going to pass away in four days. I need that kind of hope. I can't look at the circumstance and go, well, it seems like things are going to go really well and good's going to come out of this. I need this kind of hope when I have to put my son in the ground. We know that too well, right, Tracy? I need a hope that's bigger than me and my circumstances and my feelings. I need a hope when, when parenting is really, really hard and marriage is really hard and friendships are really hard and work's really hard and, and my body's breaking down. I need a hope that goes beyond this and, and what I can see and what I can feel. I need a hope like this to get me through the day? What if we actually believe this? How would this shape our living and our being in the city and how we served and how we lived? Now, again, I'm not into happy, clappy Christianity. I think there's too much of that, where it's just kind of this nebulous, like, oh, everything's fine. When I, it's okay. Some, that's why we have the Psalms, right? Sometimes not everything's fine. <laughs> but here's the thing Did you know that you can be sad and sorrowful and yet have joy simultaneously? Do you know that's possible? It's not one or the other. Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You can live in that tension. I, I know it full well. I can have be gloom. And I'm not, you know, when we see things that aren't good and things that are broken and, and death around us, of course we're not going to be happy. It's good. Jesus is raised from the dead. That's weird. But it's, I can live in the tension of sorrow and I can still have a deep-seated joy that's not based on my feelings but it's based on the realities of the gospel and historical fact and truth that's found in Christ even if I don't feel it. There's no one on the planet that can live like this other than Christians. And that's not, if you're not a Christian this morning, I'm not trying to push you out and say, well, hey, but, but you, there's not a hope that's built on anything except eternal reality. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. Because everything is going away and everything is temporal. And that's why we keep seeking more relationships and more jobs and more money and more success. And that ache in the soul just seems to never go away. It's just a ping. It's just ping, ping, ping. I got the thing. I thought the thing was going to do it this time. And yet for the Christian, we can say, I got, already got the thing and his name is Jesus. And he's resurrected from the dead. So whatever life brings me, I'm going to be okay. And it's not about my strength in my confidence, but it's about confidence in the one who's done this for me. That's some serious hope. And that'll change how you live tomorrow as you go to work. When that Excel spreadsheet just driving you crazy and you just want to throw your mouse through the screen. When the boss isn't kind to you, we need a hope bigger than your boss and bigger than your job. Which is also the good news of how this hope is deepened. Because Peter's not going to let us off the hook. He, he, he says, hey, there's this foundation of a hope. It's built on a, on a merciful God who comes to us. And, the, and, the, and there's also um, this, this maintaining of hope. And it comes through faith because you have this inheritance that's already sealed and, and provided for you in heaven. But there's also this deepening of this hope. It, it becomes even, and you could almost equate faith and hope together because the scriptures do that often. But how does this hope even deepen? Notice, notice how he encourages the church and encourages us. 6. In this you rejoice now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He gives four reasons why... Hope can be deepened and how it's deepened in trials. Because he says, first, he says our, our trials are temporary. They're temporary. And this rejoice now for a little while. It's like a band aid. Life is short, my friends. Even if you get 80, 90, 100 years in, in the light of eternity, it's still very short. It's just ripping off a band aid in the light of eternity. That's why Paul says, you know, these momentary afflictions, they're nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Why? because they're momentary. They're just a Band-Aid. But we make it everything, right? It, it's the, the worst thing. I mean, if you've had kids, you know how that goes, right? The Now in the moment is the only thing that matters. How I want to just craft a vision. I know they're young and they're still developing and don't understand all this, but I want them to have a vision of, hey, this momentary affliction and the fact that, you know, your buddy said something mean to you on the playground, nothing compared to eternity or what's coming. Nothing compared to it. Whether you live a long easy life or a short hard life it's temporary second he says that that hope is also it's refined and it's it's strengthened we see that in verse seven so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ that that hope and faith are very much tied together that, that as we walk through trials, as we walk through sufferings, as they, these people were, and as we do, God uses that to refine it, to chisel off all the hard edges. This, this metaphor he uses with, with gold, right? It, they would heat up gold and precious metals so all the impurities would go away. So, so what does God do? He does in our trials, in our sufferings, he's whittling away the impurities that keep us, that resist us, from, resist from, from loving him, trusting him. And, and I can tell you wholeheartedly, not in the moment, because it's really painful. I'm not thinking about this in the moment when you're you know, losing a child, but when my, my wife and I you know, lost our second child, we, we, it was years later to go, oh, there's a new hope here. There's a new hope here, because you took us through a really hard trial. Because one of the things, and I've said this a million times if you're new with us, I've said one of the things God revealed to me when we were walking through this was how much I believe God owed me something. Because guess what? I'm a pastor. God, I have taken a vow of poverty for you. And I've given up all these things. I've gone into massive debt to learn Greek and Hebrew words, oh God. Why would I have to lose a child? And I wish I could say that's a joke. It's not. That was it. was in my heart. Like, I've given my life. I'm going to go plant a church. I don't know one person. I'm doing this for the sake of the gospel and your glory. And the thing that God's revealing in me, the thing that he's whittling and he's chiseling away in my wicked heart is the fact that, Ryan, you just love me for my benefits. You don't love me for me, whether good or hard things come to you. And that took me years to understand. And maybe you've walked that road, but you can look back and go, in a weird, strange way, thank you for the hard things, because no one learns anything in good times. Does anyone? You're liars if you say yes. You know, when I had a million dollars in the bank, and the company's thriving, and, and the kids are healthy, and everybody's, you know, my kids sit around the table and go, yes, Father, we love you. Read the scriptures to us. I will do anything you say. Those times, what am I learning? Nothing. I'm learning to be self-dependent on myself and not on Christ, right? But it's in those dark times, in those hard times, in times of loss, in times of pain, in times of the unknowns, that God is doing something in us. He's refining us so that we would trust him and love him even more. I can tell you, every Christian that I've met that has, has a testimony like that on some way, shape, or form, that have walked through trials, walked through suffering, is there's a deep-seated joy in them and a hope in them. And I remember as a young believer, I used to always think, well, geez, they probably had a really easy life. They can't be this happy. Until I met my grandmother. Grandma Ruthie. She's in glory, but I remember she just always was happy. It's like, Grandma, seriously? Like, can we stop the nonsense? Like, just this deep-seated joy and happiness all the time. And then I began to sit down with her, and I go, I know, Grandma, you probably haven't gone through much in your life. You've had it pretty easy. And then she tells story. After story of pain and loss, and her losing her sister f- to suicide, and, and and physical pain, and marriage struggles, and kid problems, and and relationship, I'm just like, how are you still alive? Her hope was in Christ, and it wasn't a happy clappy. It was, oh, Ryan, I know the pain, but God through that was refining me, changing me putting my hands more firmly on him and saying, I trust you. I don't understand all this, but I trust you. And then there's a, a fourth thing that, that trials do and suffering does with our hope is it brings honor and glory to Christ. Christ. So that the tested generous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire may be found, and to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That as we walk through that, it brings glory and honor to his name. It brings praise to his name. We say, Thank you, God. Because without you, I'm nothing. Without you, there is no hope in the world. Without your resurrection, we might as well, as Paul said, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, we may just give up and do what we're doing now in 1 Corinthians 15. There's no point. Our faith is futile. It means nothing. If something didn't happen in human history, Jesus Christ living and dying and rising from the dead, then just, let's just call it a day and go watch the chiefs. Right? Don't amen that. I know it's in your heart, you wicked sinners. Don't. Just Stop. I hope they win today in a humble, godly way. (laughs) I'm not watching that. I'll just be reading my Bible. Come on. But it brings honor and glory to Christ because we rejoice even though we don't see him, we love him because we know what he's done. Even though some of our feelings betray us and, and everything we see betrays us, we still love him and honor him and worship him because of who he is and what he's done for us. He did something we could never do for ourselves and he keeps doing that. He keeps sustaining us and keeps holding on to us. Even, though I just love that song, he's still holding on to us even when the, dark, the night is dark. Isn't night always dark? But even when the darkness comes, it's not us just, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. It's God holding on to us. How do you encourage the people that are in exile? How do you em- encourage sojourners, people that have pushed to the margins, is you remind them of their hope that they have in Jesus Christ. They can't be taken away by any circumstance or any feeling or any opportunity that it's always there because of what Christ has done and our trust in this Christ, in this gospel. And then lastly, the, the power of hope. The power of hope. There's an interesting way that Peter kind of ends this section. In verse 10 he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time or spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look let me let me summarize it in this way the least insignificant disciple of Jesus knows more now and understands more than any prophet of the old testament and any angel in heaven that's what this is saying that even the prophets of old that had been revealed this messiah that's going to come they never got to see this messiah but we have because we live on this side of the resurrection, that even the angels are, 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 are jealous at the fact that they could never see, they could never experience the, the fullness of what this gospel is, that every spiritual blessing is now ours in Christ. We have the gift of that, that even the prophets of old didn't have that. Isn't that amazing? They were still waiting for the the full picture, the full revelation that was to come, that this Jesus was going to live and die and and become all that Israel was supposed to be and all that they couldn't be. And he was going to be all for us, everything. And, And he was going to fulfill all the laws and all the sacrifices and all the promises. It was all going to be fulfilled in Christ. We are recipients of that. The smallest, youngest disciple of Jesus has more than even the prophets of old, even the angels themselves. So what does that mean? (laughs) That we should be people who are just overwhelmed with inexpressible joy, as Peter says. Because he did it. He fulfilled his promises. he has he, said love has come to us. His compassion has come to us. He's fulfilled all these promises, things we couldn't do in of ourselves. And if we're we're suffering, that we can still walk in suffering because we have this, this eternal hope, this living hope of a of a living Christ who, who suffered for us in our place. That, that if we're pushed to the margins, it doesn't matter. We don't we still have this Christ and we have this joy that's rooted in him. It's not rooted in whether we have a voice in the culture or not. And we're free to serve and love and even pray and bless our enemies because Christ came and died for his enemies. That's what it should do in us. And that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ that no one can take away. And it's yours by faith right here, right now. I don't know, church, that's really good news and it's really quiet in here. But that's how you make it through this afternoon and work on Monday and parenting on Wednesday is having a hope that's bigger and greater than parenting and marriage and work and cancer, and death, and sin. You need a, a, a gospel that's bigger and more robust than just pure optimism that, yeah, maybe it'll turn out tomorrow, but something that's rooted in history and rooted in Christ and something that God has done on our behalf that can never be taken away. And I pray that that's what our church will be built on, It will continually be, be built on. And say, yeah, we go through hard things, we go through down down times, but we have a living hope in a living God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's how I'd want to encourage the church. Don't look to your circumstance, don't look to yourself, don't look to your feelings, but look to this Jesus who has come and did what we couldn't do for ourselves. And every week we have a a visible, visual, a reminder of that grace that's come to us, the, the bread Uh, represents the broken body of Christ. The the cup represents the blood that was shed for us, um, atoning for our sins, something we couldn't do for ourselves, purifying us, cleansing us, making us right with God. And if you're a believer in Christ and you're trusting in this God who's given us this living hope, please come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. The way we do that is we have two lines in the front. We break off the bread, we dip it in the cup. And if you're not a believer in Christ, we just ask that you would stay seated. It's kind of a family deal. We have some prayers in the um, worship guide or the city life, I should say, um, that you can think and reflect on that. If you want to talk about that after the service, I'd love to talk about that at the sermon. Um, we've all been there, and we're all looking for hope. That's the reality. If you're not a believer in here, you're, all, you're looking for hope. We all are. <laughs> but we, we found our hope in, in, in uh, historical realities and, and revealed to us in the, in the Scriptures in a, in a hope that can never be taken away. And so we, we'd love to talk to you more um, about that. Um, and, and before we take the supper uh, this, this, as I say, this evening, it's not this evening, um, this morning, is maybe just, just take a moment um, just to, to confess the, those, those places where maybe not, your hope right now isn't in Christ. Maybe it's in a circumstance or it's in hoping certain things go away, whatever it is, but just to, to confess that before the Lord, to, to ask the Lord to search you, examine you, is my hope truly in Christ or is it, am I putting my hope in something else? Because the whole world's built on hope, hope in something, right? So let's just bring that before the Lord before we, we take a supper. We'll just do that quietly. You can do that in your own heart and stillness of your own heart and before you and God, and, and then we'll, we'll celebrate the supper together. Father, we, uh, we live in a hopeless world and it's only hopeless because we're not trusting in the hope that you've given us in Christ. That there was a time when we were wandering around without hope in the world, as Ephesians 2 says. But you came to us in Christ. You found us with your chesed love, your compassion, your grace, your mercy, your love. We weren't deserving of it. We weren't owed it. We couldn't work for it. And yet you came for your glory and, and by your grace. And for that, we're thankful. And I, I pray this hope that we've just looked at for a few moments. I, I know I didn't do justice to it. There's just too much there. It's too beautiful, too deep, too amazing. But we have this living hope in Christ. I pray that would change us right now in how we live our lives, how we think about marriage, how we think about parenting, how we think about work, how we think about our attitude, how we serve our city, God, that we have this living hope that can never be taken away. I pray we would believe that and walk in that as your exiles in the city. We love you. Thank you for meeting us here. In Jesus' name, amen.